Pastor Xavier Reese with a revealing look into the heart of natural man. The history of the natural man, including religious people who insist that man is naturally good, have a very difficult case to prove from the evidence of history. The thousands and millions who have been executed by dictators and tyrants, greed, dishonesty, from the highest office of the president down to the common person. Look you square in the face and lie. It's all around us, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Near, so very near to God, nearer I could not be. For in the person of God's Son, I am as near as He. Dear, so very dear to God, dearer I could not be. For in the person of God's Son, I am as dear as He. The writer of this chorus couldn't have painted a more vivid picture for the simple truth found in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Pastor Xavier has been presenting a study series in the book of Romans, providing the blessed assurance that our justification in Christ has mended our enmity with God. Chapter 8 of Romans, in the message entitled, Life According to the Spirit. Verse 1, the Apostle Paul declared the proclamation of acquittal. Therefore now, no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The Greek text begins with the negative. No condemnation is there. Being at the beginning of the sentence, it makes it emphatic, a double negative. No way, no how. There's no condemnation. All the sins that a person has committed against God have been forgiven as they've trusted the provisions the Father has provided in Jesus Christ, justified before God. Look at verse 2. The Apostle Paul declared the liberation from sin nature. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me, he makes it very personal, free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness, underline that, likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin to condemn sin in the flesh. In other words, the law being holy and the commandment just and good as we've seen demanded perfect obedience, right? The judgment of sin and for the sins of the world fell on the person of Jesus Christ as he was a propitiation for our sins. Paul told us that in Romans 3.25, 1 John 2.2, 1 John 4.10. That word propitiation means that which satisfies the demands of God for the payment of sin on the cross. You ready for it? The law says man is guilty. The penalty is death. Jesus died on the cross. Look at verse 4. The apostle Paul declared the satisfaction to the law. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Underline in us. The purpose of God in sending His Son was to justify and sanctify us in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. The ability of our flesh can do nothing for us except a complete dependency on the Holy Spirit of God. Now notice the second movement, the exaltation of the spirit life, 5 through 8. In verse 5, the Apostle Paul sets in contrast two categories of people. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. There are those who live dominated 
by the flesh. That's the first category. These individuals are not born again, living according to the flesh. He's dealing with contrast. This is a non-believer here. They are controlled and mastered by the natural, sinful desires of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life in 1 John 2.16. They deny themselves nothing, and they justify and defend themselves in everything. Remember? <laughs> well, if you wouldn't have done this, I wouldn't have done that. Well, you know, it's only fair, and it's just not fair. You know, and we all kinds of stuff. These individuals are committed to their passions and lusts. This includes their thoughts, opinions, judgments, and their pursuits on the things that appeal to their sin nature. Then there are those who are dominated by the Spirit. Here's the contrast. Second category. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. These individuals are born again according to the Spirit. The phrase living according to the Spirit refers to those who have that new divine nature. Empowered by the Holy Spirit of God making it alive. They're dominated by the things of the Spirit being regenerated, born again. That which is born flesh is flesh, that which is born of spirit is spirit, Jesus said in John 3. The things of the Spirit focus on the Word of God that reveals the will of God. They deny themselves all that is not pleasing to God. This is our manner of life. It's the practice. It's the habitual way we walk. It doesn't mean we are sinless. It doesn't mean we are perfect. It means that we live as a constant attempt and deliberate choosing to walk to please God. Never perfection. Now notice these individuals are committed to the things of God and set their mind on the things of the Spirit. This includes their thoughts, opinions, judgments, and their pursuits on the things that appeal to the new divine nature. What a difference. Black and white, night and day, up and down. Now notice verse 6. The Apostle Paul declared there are two outcomes depending on the lifestyle. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The person who is carnally minded will die eternally. The carnally minded person, once again, is the person who is the natural man. They are living in a body with a soul. But their spirit is dead, living for their desires of the body, being fueled by their sin nature. And so when we were in the world, we were a trinity, we're an inferior trinity than God, body, soul, and spirit. But the spirit is dead. When we're born again, we're flopped around upside now. Now the spirit is alive, it's uppermost. The soul is my intellect, emotions, and will. And the body is simply the vehicle by which I manifest my life, okay? And so now I'm alive to God. As a non-believer, you're dead spiritually. As a believer, you're alive. Now at the end of the natural man's life, they will perish eternally. Having rejected the provisions that God has given for salvation in the person of Jesus Christ, living for their sin nature. The wages of sin nature is death, Romans 6.23 says. We always say the wages of sin is death. The wages is noun, sin nature, because that's the root of what we produce. The white throne judgment will cast them into the lake of fire to be eternally separated from God. This is the second death, Revelation 20.14. And that's a better definition of death. Death is this, 
separation from God. Physical death is a separation of my spirit from my body. Spiritual death, which is a second death, is a separation from God for all eternity. Now, the person who is spiritually minded will have life as God intended it and the peace of God. Here's a contrast. The word life indicates eternal life. And the primary meaning throughout the scriptures of life, when it comes to God's life, it's a quality of life. God-like life. Here and now, by the way. Not then, but here and now. The second implication is life that never ends. We usually think eternal life, it never ends. The primary definition is God-like life. I came to give them life and life more abundantly, Jesus said in John 10.10. The peace comes from the word Irene. We get the name Irene from it. It's a verb that means to join together, something that was previously fractured or separated. God has reconciled us to himself. Having been justified, we have peace with God, Romans 5.1. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23 says also. Now look at verse 7 and 8. The Apostle Paul declared two truths about the carnal mind. Don't miss them. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. The first truth is that the carnal mind is an enemy of God. Verse 7. This is stated as a reason why a life of carnally mindedness is death. It says there in verse 7, the carnal minded is an enemy at war against God. You remember? I wasn't looking for God. I didn't want to obey God. I didn't hunger after the word of God. I didn't want to submit to God. The carnal mind is self-willed. The carnal mind is rebellious in authority to God. The carnal mind is not subject to the law of God for obedience. In fact, the word subject there, you're familiar with it, is hupatasso. It's a military word, which means to line up under or arrange in order under a superior. The carnal mind does not see itself as inferior to God, but superior. How often have we heard people, well, if that's the type of God you serve, one that would judge people and send them to hell. I don't want nothing to do with it. Oh, as if God is biting his nails and is crushed. You're so important. We are arrogant. The carnal mind thinks it's superior to God. How could God? Why would God? I can't believe God. I, I, I don't want nothing to do with a God like that. Oh, really? So you're going to shape your God in your own image and then worship yourself? That's really nice. That's even better. You're a real Einstein. Amazing to me how arrogant we are. The carnal mind cannot be subject to the law of God. It cannot be subject. It has no capacity to do so due to the weakness of the flesh, as he says in Romans 7, 18, and 83. It has no potential. The phrase, nor indeed can be, means to not have power, whether by virtue of one's own ability and resources or anything else. Impossible. Then comes the second truth of verse 8. The second truth is that the carnal mind, listen, cannot please God. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The natural mind cannot receive the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him. 1 Corinthians 2.14. Foolishness. God created the world in six days. Oh, come on. The history of the natural man, including religious people who insist that man is naturally good, have a very difficult case to prove from the evidence of history. 
the thousands and millions who have been executed by dictators and tyrants. It's hard to prove for the goodness of man. The oppression, terrorism, and persecution of nations, people, and races is all around us. The breakdown of the home, society at large, the world today, utter confusion, greed, dishonesty, from the highest office of the president down to the common person. Look you square in the face and lie. It's all around us, ladies and gentlemen. Where do we get the belief and the philosophy that man is good? What section of history are we looking into? What nation? What race? What home? What person? <laughs> Listen to Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these. Listen to them. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. In other words, keep the list going. I told you beforehand that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Put that in your heart, ladies and gentlemen. If you're practicing, if you're living there, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Real simple. Now, the history of the Christian church from the apostles on and those who have been born again and lived the life of the Spirit have always been a great benefit to the world and the, the people around them. Always. There's always bad representatives and examples of Christ, but those who are walking in the Spirit, they've been a benefit to the world. Galatians 5, 25 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's singular. Fruit, agape love. The rest is manifestations of agape love. Here it is. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Then he says, against such there is no law, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with the passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit also. Listen to the sharp contrast of the flesh-dominated life and the Spirit-dominated life as Paul gives it in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk in the rest of the Gentiles, walk in the futility of their mind, emptiness, having their understanding darkened, being alien from the life of God, because of the ignorance that was in them, because of the blindness of their hearts, who, being past feelings, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness and greediness. Chapter 1, he gave us that. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard from him who has been taught by him. Here's the contrast. As the truth in Christ Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust, and renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is created according to God in the true righteousness and holiness. What a difference it makes. Night and day. The exaltation of the spirit life is irrefutable. You can't refute it. Notice the third movement. 9 through 11, the appropriation of the spirit of life. It's nice to know things. But you've got to put them to practice. You've got to put some shoe leather to it, right? Look at verse 9. The Apostle Paul affirmed the Romans to be living in the Spirit. The sharp contrast is made by the word, but you, making it emphatic. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. Those in the flesh that are enemies of God, not subject to the law, nor indeed can be, being spiritually dead and rebellious continually. They're not like this. They're a contrast to them. They in the flesh, having been born again, justified by Jesus Christ. He's showing the contrast. 
Now, the confirmation is their possession of the Spirit of God. Don't miss it. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, the word if is not communicating doubt, but rather affirming and could be translated since or in view of the fact. The Holy Spirit was dwelling. The word there, the root word is to inhabit a house or to dwell in a house. Their bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit, as we know. The clarification regarding the importance of having the possession of the Spirit, notice, is given. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Any person not having the Holy Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. The Trinity is three persons in one. Notice our text. The Spirit refers to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God refers to the first person of the Trinity, the Father. And the Spirit of Christ refers to the second person of the Trinity, Jesus Christ. Three persons, one God. And by the way, all three persons are in you. It's a crowded place in there. Not just the Holy Spirit. Now look at 10. The Apostle Paul affirms Christ was in them to enable them to live the present life. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit of life because of righteousness. Paul again affirms their possession of Jesus. And if Christ is in you, Jesus makes his abode in the believer. John 14, 18. Now notice Paul says the result of it is twofold. The body is dead because of sin. Sin nature and sin are responsible for physical and eternal death. The body of the believer will still die physically, but not eternally. My body is decaying. If, I, if the Lord tarries, I will die physically. But notice the spirit is life because of righteousness. There's a contrast. The new birth has imparted the newness of life in the spirit here. And the spirit imparts righteousness to live to please God. If Christ is in you, the body is no longer a channel for sin nature or acts of sin as a lifestyle, but rather a channel of the Spirit for righteousness. We're under different management. We're no longer a slave to our old sin nature. Now we willfully serve the Lord through the new nature, the power of the Spirit. Look at 11. The Apostle Paul affirmed the transforming power of the Holy Spirit to walk and live in the Spirit. The Spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in the believer. Notice the progression. He goes by the Spirit. Now he gives the power of it, the resurrected power. If the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, the word ek is the word for from. Out, away from the dead. Jesus was resurrected. He wasn't resuscitated. He wasn't revived. He came out away from death. He wasn't resuscitated like, La like Lazarus just brought back. Jesus was raised in a glorified body. He ate. It didn't fall on the ground. They touched him. And yet he passed through walls, different molecular structure. He went from Galilee to Jerusalem, from the Mount of Olives to heaven. Now notice the very same power resides in every believer. What power? The power of the resurrection. Jesus and the believer are united. 
the Spirit of God and the believer are also united. And so the God who raised Jesus from the dead will empower the believer to live the Spirit life. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. The reference to he is to God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. An American with an English gentleman was viewing Niagara Falls, the whirlpools there. If you've ever been up there, they're impressive. When he came to his friend, he says, come and I will show you the greatest unused power in the world. And taking him to the foot of Niagara Falls, he says, there, he said, that is the greatest unused power in the world. Oh, my brother, said his friend, not so. The greatest unused power in the world is the Holy Spirit of the living God. And I have to say, amen. We cut ourselves so short. We put ourselves through things that God never intends us to because we trust so much in ourselves, ladies and gentlemen. Paul learned how to live a self-defeated life by trusting himself. But now Paul has learned how not to live a self-defeated life by trusting the power of the Holy Spirit who will enable him to do all things pertaining to life and godliness through this divine nature to escape the corruption of the world as Peter said in 2 Peter 1, 3 through 4. Let me give you three texts. First, Paul's slogan for life. You ready for it? Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. All things he asks you to do, not what you want to do. That's his slogan for life. Second, his belief for life is found in Ephesians 3, 20 through 21. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church of Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And then thirdly, Paul's practice through life. It's found in Philippians 3, 7 through 14. This is where the rubber meets the road. Listen carefully. But what things were gained to me, these things I count loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord, to whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, a pile of manure, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, here and now, and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead at the end. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold on me, brethren. I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forward to the things that are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is where you and I are to live, forgetting those things that are past and pressing forward to the things that are ahead. Not trusting myself, but the power of the Spirit of God. The only home without it. How are we going to live, ladies and gentlemen, in such a critical time that God has allowed us to be present in this world? When everything's falling apart, people should be looking at us who are not. Are we not affected by everything? Sure we are. But we live differently because we are different. 
we're sons and daughters of God by the grace of God. Living and walking in the Spirit. Pastor Xavier Reese, affirming the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, seeks to empower the life of the believer. And if you'd like a copy of today's message for further study at your own pace, or perhaps a copy to pass on to a friend, it's titled, Life According to the Spirit. You can request the CD for just $4. And this will include everything we heard the last time we were together as well. Once again, the title to ask for is, Life According to the Spirit, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 